stand standing for the reading of this morning's gospel lesson. It comes from the gospel according to St. John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Every year as Christmas approaches, I think that we are all reminded of Christmas memories. Perhaps we remember a special Christmas in a special place. Maybe we remember a special gift from a special someone on a certain special Christmas. Maybe it's a Christmas meal or an item on a table that is just perfect. Maybe it's the Christmas traditions of childhood or adulthood that stick out in your mind. Some of those might be coming to your mind right now. Today, Christmas is a little unique. With Christmas Day being on a Sunday, something that happens on average once every seven years, memories different than normal ones may come to mind. A few different Christmases come to my mind. When I was acolyte age growing up, my mother was the acolyte coordinator at our church which meant that any time there was a service that was on a day that might be tough to fill, like a holiday weekend, I was always the backup plan. And that was only if I wasn't plan A to begin with. So I remember the Christmas day that was on a Sunday when I was acolyte age, because Santa Claus was delayed that day because we came to church and I acolyted, but I did get to wear a t-shirt, so I remember that that day. So I have a special appreciation for Leela and John Carson, for them being acolytes here today on this Christmas day. I also today am reminded of Christmas when I was about six years old. That Christmas Eve, the minister at our church encouraged all of the families of the church before they proceeded to any traditions on Christmas morning to read the Christmas story as told by St. Luke. So the Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20 passage that Reverend Rogers read before the sermon last night, 
It really is a great idea and one that I suggest that everyone should do before they begin opening any presents or anything. After all, the least we can do on Christmas morning is read the story that is the reason for which we celebrate. That being said, as I remember that specific Christmas as a six-year-old, as I looked at presents under the tree, as I saw the stockings hanging from the mantle, I swear that that reading took two hours. I know that you might say, Lucas, it was only 20 verses. We just heard it last night. It certainly did not take two hours. Wrong, it took two hours. You might also say, Lucas, I have an app that has the Bible on audiobook. I looked at that passage, and the reading time is only two minutes and ten seconds. No, I promise it was two hours. I just know it. My memory is not wrong. I sat there for two hours listening to that passage being read. Okay. I know the reality is that I was simply imprisoned by my own anticipation. The reality is that the reading probably only took two minutes and ten seconds. It just felt like two hours. And now, here I am standing on the other side of the coin. I am that short two-minute passage standing between you and the rest of your Christmas traditions. (laughs) Any travels you may be looking to or whatever other elements of normal Christmas, Christmas being on a Sunday, has altered. But knowing that, I want to give a thank you to each of you for being here on this somewhat different Sunday morning and allowing the light of the world to interrupt your normal Christmas traditions for at least a moment as we celebrate on this day the birth of the Christ child. Our four Gospels tell of the beginnings of Jesus on earth in each their own ways. They each convey to us what God has inspired them to make sure we know about the story. In Luke, we get most of the birth narrative that we celebrate. In Luke, we get the Virgin Mary's perspective. Not all, but most of what we have in our minds and our nativities comes from Luke. In Matthew, we get some additional details. We get the wise men from the east. We get Joseph's perspective. But perhaps most importantly, Matthew connects Jesus back to the Old Testament connecting his line back towards David and Abraham. Matthew draws parallels of Jesus to Moses, laying the foundation for him to be someone that will give us a new commandment. And in Mark, we get none of it. Mark jumps right into adult Jesus, talks about John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism, and really dives right in. The only thing of a prologue that we get from Mark is verse 1, the beginnings of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's it. Our gospel lesson this morning is John's version. It comes from what is often called John's prologue, which is the first 18 verses of John's gospel. It is unlike the others. It's not a beautifully painted narrative portrait like Luke offers us. It's not a well-structured history layered in names and details like in Matthew. It exists more so than Mark's jump to the starting line. It's its own thing, 
a beautifully crafted message of the entirety of the gospel. One could argue that if all else was lost, and this was all that we had, you would have enough to know what you needed to know about Jesus. And as the writer says, receive him, believe in his name, and receive the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. As United Methodists, we say that scripture contains all things necessary for salvation. And I think that that is especially true in this passage. Across all of our Christmas readings, we get the answers that we need. Matthew and Luke's stories of Jesus's birth do a fantastic job of answering the questions of who, what, when, and where. But here in John, I think we really get the answer to the question, why? Today, instead of a manger, angels, and magi, John 1 presents the church with its explicit theological vision of the difference the incarnation makes in the life of the world. So what is the difference? In John's story of Christmas, we don't start in Bethlehem or Nazareth, but poetically he takes us all the way back to Genesis, to the beginning beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John reminds us that in chapter 1 of Genesis that God doesn't think the world into existence or send angels to create or construct the world as we know it. But God, through God's very spoken word, speaks the world into being. Let there be light, and there was light, and light is good. From the beginning, God uses God's very word to create God's most effective gift to the world, light and life. God gifted us light and life. But as you read on from Genesis throughout the Old Testament, you see more and more evidence of, the human, of our human condition to mingle in darkness. You see our constant need for that light and life that only God's word can provide. We know our need for the light, but sometimes the darkness just makes us curious. Though God gave us light and life through God's word, the darkness still tempts us. Even though even the littlest bit of light can light up the darkness, we have our way of turning away from God's word and curiosity for what the darkness might bring. But instead of letting the Old Testament cycle of sin, repentance, and sacrifice go on in perpetuity, on this day, 2,000-something years ago, God did a new thing. God did something that God had not yet done before. Without focus on mangers, shepherds, animals, inns, or innkeepers, John tells us that the word became flesh and lived among us. God, in the most decisive act of humility in human history, became incarnate. God took on humanity and all that came with it. 
God became flesh, and to become flesh, as we all know, is to know joy, sorrow, loss, frustration, pain, suffering, and death. Throughout the Old Testament, the human relationship with God was different than what we know. People shielded their face to encounter God. The access to God seemed limited. But on this day, everything changed. For incarnation means that humans can now see, hear, and know God in ways never before possible. The Word became flesh and lived among us. So much has been done over time with the beautiful poetry of John's prologue. Even across translations, across millennia, the words still ring with beauty here today. I believe that in John's gospel, nothing is unintentional. Everything is well thought out, inspired by God, and beautifully crafted. One way that verse 14 in this passage can be translated from the Greek is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was also known as the tent of meetings, a tent. It was thought to be the dwelling place of God. Essentially what it's saying, if you translate it in that way, is that the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Living or dwelling isn't a simple popping in and saying, hey, for a minute. It's not living in the area and coming by from time to time, but it's Jesus making residence among us. Better yet, perhaps one of my favorite commentaries on this passage the late Eugene Peterson's modern paraphrase of this passage in the message translates it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God did not simply make a cameo as a human, but Jesus being fully human while still bearing his full divinity took on everything that it meant to be a human and then some. And we see that from that moment, the incarnation begins as he is born, not in the way that he deserves, but in a manger. On the bookends, God humbly abandoned everything that God deserved so that we might have life and have it abundantly. That word of God that created light and life now came to earth to be that example of light and life in this world. And as verse 12 tells us, if we receive that light and life and believe in his name, we are granted power to become children of God and hence bearers of that light and life to the world. Ever since James first introduced me to that song he sang just a few moments ago for the offertory, the work of Christmas, I have been entranced by it. Each Christmas, I must hear it sung or read the lyrics by Howard Thurman several times. It continually resonates and inspires me, and I feel like we must hear it the first Sunday after Christmas Eve every year. When the angels, the star, the kings, the princes, and the shepherds are no longer here, that is when the work of Christmas begins.
to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, and to make music in the heart. That is our calling as the church. That is what we are to do. That is how we are bearers of the light and life to the world. So how do we do that? Well, we take the lead of Jesus. When he became flesh, he moved into the neighborhood. When he became flesh, he did what the people in the margins needed him to do. So we are to do the same. Today, this Christmas day, we enjoy the day. Today, our bringing peace among others might be spending time with loved ones. It might be finding rest after a busy season of work and life. But after Christmas dinner, after it's over, the work of Christmas really begins. Jay mentioned this in his sermon last night. But I was so excited to see this past Thursday, several among our, our congregation and our staff get a head start on the work of Christmas. Even before the angels, star kings and princesses and shepherds were even here, people spent their lunchtime serving with our mission partners, Mercy House and MAP, Ministry About People. People in our congregation cooked the meal, people served the meal, People distributed gifts so children could celebrate the day, and people helped share holiday blessings and holiday joy. It was such an overwhelming joy to see as people were bearing light and life into neighborhoods in our community. So, with this being the last Sunday worship service of 2022, May we spend the next few days thinking through how we will execute that work of Christmas in 2023. How will we each find the lost, heal the broken, feed the hungry, release the prisoner, rebuild the nation, bring peace among others, and make music in the heart? How will we honor our commitments to this church and to the God who was willing to move into our neighborhood? How will we uphold our commitments to be loyal to God and the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness? There is darkness in the world, but we know that the darkness never overcomes the light. May we each find ways to shine the light and life of Christ and erase any darkness in the days to come. May we do the work of the word of God and shine the light that darkness cannot and can never overcome. May we carry Christ's light and illumine the darkness around us. The word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. Merry Christmas. Amen.